morning, Memphis. I'm so glad that we are able to spend some of this morning together. I'm Sana, and you're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Every Saturday morning, I'm joined by experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Over the next hour, we'll learn about their motivations, inspirations, and of course, what they know about the world around us. So grab that cup of coffee and get ready for a fun and insightful conversation. There are over half a million international adoptees in the United States. Adoptees hail from countries around the world like China, Guatemala, Haiti, Ethiopia, Colombia, the Ukraine, and South Korea, just to name a few. <laughs> While we often think about international adoptees as vulnerable children, like any other children, adoptees grow up. The largest group of international adoptees who are now in adulthood are adoptees from Korea. And although adoptees may not experience the same vulnerabilities they did as children, there are still some specific challenges that adoptees face. And we're going to talk about some of those today with our guest, Amanda Asalone. Amanda is the vice president of the Korean American Coalition, Metro Atlanta, a nonprofit, nonpartisan community advocacy organization dedicated to service for the enhancement and benefit of the Korean American community in Georgia. She is also the research manager for the Post-Secondary Education Research Center and an adjunct instructor in the College of Education, Health, and Human Services at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Welcome, Amanda. It is such a pleasure to have you with us. Hi, Sana. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, it is so good. Whenever we can get together, um, it's so good. We have known each other for, I don't know, how many years has it been? Definitely five? Five years? <laughs> hey, I've been in Atlanta for six years, and I think it was like, I attended con like right after I, like the year after I moved, so. Yeah, so maybe five, five, around five years. And Khan is the Korean American Adoptee Adoptive Family Network. <laughs> Quite a mouthful, uh, but that is how we first met um, at the Khan Conference, which is actually coming up, right? Like right around the corner. Um, and we're always roommates. <laughs> Yeah, um, and having like these crazy adventures <laughs> always always fun yeah always fun yes so of course I should say that both Amanda and I are Korean adoptees so that's what we're doing at the you know Korean American adoptee adoptive family network <laughs> conferences meeting other adoptees presenting workshops about the adoptee experience and other really important issues related to international adoption. And it's just such an honor to have you on this show to kind of talk about some of these things that listeners may not have ever, you know, thought about. Yes. And we also went to Korea and did ICA two <laughs> years ago. So yeah, that was huge. So we've been through that. That was my first time in Korea. So I could not have been there with a better group of people. You know, it was so much fun. And, but um, yeah, no, I'm excited to be here and share everything that, yeah, that has been going on <laughs> <especially> <laughs> last year, you know, in the adoptee world. 
Yes. Oh my goodness. How could I forget about Korea? Like that's a turning point. I know. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's such a turning point trip to go back to one's birth country. Um, And like you said, for Korean adoptees, we do have a really strong international network um, and a lot of support in different ways from the Korean government on making these type of organized, coordinated um, trips back to Korea. And maybe we'll talk about that more in depth a little bit later. Um, But I wanted to start with one issue that I know has been ongoing that I know you have been very involved in, and that's adoptee citizenship rights. And so could you talk just a little bit about, you know, what does it even mean when I say, you know, adoptee citizenship rights? Yes, of course. So there are several international adoptees who were adopted here into the U.S. whose parents, for whatever reason, did not get them citizenship. Um, And so they are living here without citizenship, um, kind of in silence, like, you know, just hoping to get citizenship so, you know, that they can actually better their life. Um, And then there's also been several who have been deported back to their home countries, Um, because they don't have citizenship and they are living, you know, in these different foreign lands, you know, where yes, they may have been born there, but they don't know the culture, they don't speak the language, and they are struggling there as well. So there's a big push and movement right now to try to get citizenship for all adoptees right now, all international adoptees. Um, There was a law passed, um, the child Adoptee Citizenship Act um, in 2000, which basically said anyone who was um, 18, under 18, by uh, around, I think, the beginning of 2001 would automatically get citizenship. And then anyone who was adopted after that um, would have automatic citizenship. But that left out a lot of people who were over, you know, 18, who had been adopted internationally, who did not get citizenship. So I joined on with a couple different organizations that are adoptee-led, adoptee rights campaign, and then I became really involved with the Adoptees for Justice group. And um, it's, yeah, I kind of uh, was pretty involved with them for a couple years. This past year, because of the pandemic, really haven't been able to do a lot with them. But what we did was we just really pushed to try to get this bill. It's the Adoptee Citizenship Act passed through um, the legislature uh, in the Senate. Um, we have every year we come up with an all inclusive bill that we hope will get passed so that the adoptees who do not have citizenship will get the citizenship and then also bring back the ones that have been deported so that they can come back to the US. Um, So that's just kind of a quick summary. I looked and, you know, it looks like they're still trying to get this back, this bill passed. They've, Mm -hmm. I think they have like uh, 21 uh, co-sponsors for it um, for the House bill. And then the Senate, I think they have around six or seven. So it's getting closer. Um, Yeah. So if anyone's interested, um, you can go to um, adoptiesforjustice.org and look at their website and see how you can help. Um, A lot of the stuff that I did with the organization was just like educating and informing people about this issue because a lot of people, including like my family and, and friends did not know this was an issue or do not, you know, know that this is an issue because it shouldn't be an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot, you know, a lot of different, um, a lot of different experiences, you know, why, why uh, adoptees did not, you know, get their citizenship. So, you know, we're also as 
as a like kind of an advocacy organization, we're also exploring those reasons, you know, those two and trying to address making sure that doesn't continue to happen as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, of course, it's like you never think about a thing. You can't think about something that you don't know about. And then oftentimes we're not thinking about things that don't affect us personally or don't affect someone that we know personally. And so even for me thinking about like, I remember that it was a big deal when I became a naturalized citizen. Of course, it would be a big deal, right, for anybody um, obtaining citizenship. And I do remember that. And it never really even occurred to me, like, I should already have something, right? Or that there should have been some kind of process already in place for internationally adopted children. And I remember even just my father telling me like, oh, you know, like they didn't know that, you know, the child they adopted, that they, you know, raised and, you know, all that wasn't a citizen like they were. They just kind of assumed this is my child. Of course she has citizenship until they found out, right? Kind of on their own that, oh no, wait, actually you need to go through the process just like any other immigrant in, you know, to the United States, fill out the forms, you know, file the fees, go through everything. And that was a big kind of, I think, shock to them, but also something very important where it was like, okay, we got to get on this. Like we have to, (laughs) we have to do this. Yeah, no. And a lot of parents didn't know to do anything. And then, you know, and then there's the whole, it also depends on how, like what visas the adoptees came over, you know, to the U.S. on, um, and that could delay the process as well. So, um, no, I mean, I've heard stories from adoptees who went to get a passport or, or tried to enlist in the military, and then that's when they found out they weren't citizens, and they had thought pretty much their whole childhood that they were. Um, it, it's just, yeah, it's amazing, um, you know, how many people out there experience this. Um, so that was, like, a big eye opener also as an adoptee because just realizing how lucky I am that, you know, I, that wasn't, you know, I wasn't in that situation, but it also is a reminder that, you know, it could have been any of us too. So mm-hmm. that's why I think so many of us got involved or are involved in um, supporting this because, you know, as adoptees, you know, this could happen to anyone and we, we want to make sure it doesn't. And then, then we also got to know, um, so Adoptees for Justice is led by impacted adoptees and, and they are the ones who do not have citizenship. And one of them actually ha- was deported back to Panama. Mm-hmm. And um, so they are, and Chris Larson is the one who's the, who's directing the organization right now. And he is in the United States but he does not um, have citizenship because he was part of Operation Baby Lift out of Vietnam. And um, so there's, you know, getting hit. Yeah, that just wasn't even thought of, you know, getting him citizenship, I guess. So um, so they are leading the organization, but just hearing their stories and then meeting other, you know, adoptees, you know, who are suffering from this, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. So I really hope something happens soon and this gets through. I know that they've been pushing this for this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting what you just said, how Chris, the person who's kind of spearheading this for, for right now and leading the organization right now was part of you know a government-led initiative, right? So Operation Baby Lift, again, right after um, or during the Vietnam War, um, bringing all mm-hmm. these children <laughs> to the United States in this sort of humanitarian rescue, right? Um, But yet kind of left in limbo or um, 
right? And so that's kind of unreal when you think about that. It's very unreal. It's like, how did this happen? Like, how is this an issue? And um, no, even talking to people on the Hill, which we did, we did like advocacy days in DC um, as part of you know our um, work that we did with Adoptees for Justice and talking to representatives, they were shocked. Many of them had adopted children right. or adopted relatives and they are just like, you know, had no clue that this was an issue. So um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we were all brought over here legally, <laughs> so, but. Um, but now we're, you know, several of us are at risk of, you know, having to leave. So mm-hmm. it doesn't yeah. make sense. And for the adoptees who are deported, what mm-hmm. is the likelihood that they could return? So I think they definitely would have to um, pass this and and for them to come back. Okay. Um, I know a lot of adoptees who have been deported um, have had a little bit of like bad luck in the past. So I would, I guess I could say several of them, you know, do have a criminal background, um, even a minor one, you know, sometimes it's even like they left the country and tried to come back and it's when they were flagged that they weren't citizens and because they had some minor like record, you know, they got stuck. Yeah. So, and so I say it's a lot of people who I feel like were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, some of them, most of them actually served their time, you know, but, um, they still, so that's, that's part of the problem with this, why it's not getting passed is we want an all-inclusive bill that will bring back everyone because, you know, whether, they have a criminal background or not, you know, they were all adopted as children. This is their home and um, they should have had citizenship mm-hmm. um, as soon as they were adopted. So the whole, you know, uh, there's a lot of controversy on if we should let them back or not, which, you know, I strongly believe that should not even be an issue. Um, but, you know, I guess it, that's, that's what's holding up the bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in that case, I see how people would say, oh, these folks broke the law, therefore under, you know, whatever current immigration rules, they should be deported. But as you mentioned, these were folks who were adopted by U.S. citizens, grew up in the United States, and for all intents and purposes, should have already had citizenship, um, but for a variety of reasons, you know, did not. And therefore, you know, we don't deport other U.S. citizens who break the law, right? And so they should be treated and seen as citizens like any other. Definitely, yes. So, yeah. So that's the controversy that, you know, is this, because a lot of people are like, why isn't it passing, you know? But that's that's a lot of the reason why is because we want it to be all-inclusive and that's kind of, yeah. So we don't want to leave anyone out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important to have this all-encompassing bill that is inclusive of the variety of impacted adopted folks versus trying to kind of push through for some, but not for all. Um, because we know that the most vulnerable, even if we think, oh, we'll come back, you know, and do something for them, usually it is the most vulnerable who get left and, you know, fall through the cracks. Um, And so the likelihood of being able to pass a singular kind of piece of legislation specifically um, for those folks would be even slimmer than kind of this current legislation already is. Yes, yeah. 
Well, that's so awesome that you're involved and have been involved um, in this advocacy. And thank you for sharing that with our listeners, because I'm sure that folks who are hearing this are hearing this for the first time, right? And being just as shocked as we were. Uh, I was just talking to my aunt not that long ago, and she asked me, you know, well, what are you working on? Um, What are you involved in? I kind of had mentioned um, some of this as well, and she was so shocked. So it's like every time, you know, you talk about it, it's you know, brand new for people um, because folks really have no idea, um, even though most people in the U.S. know someone who is adopted and are aware of international adoption as a type of, you know, family making, they don't know all the ins and outs. And even for folks who are adoptive families, they don't know (laughs) either as well. So this is so important. Well, let's take a quick break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. We're here on WYXR 91.7 FM. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee. I'm Sana, and I'm here with Amanda Aslone, the Vice President of the Korean American Coalition Metro Atlanta. Now, before the break, we were talking about the Adoptee Citizenship Rights Act Um, And kind of talking about some experiences that international adoptees have kind of in general, and even some of the maybe challenges that adoptees may face. But one thing that I wanted to talk to you about is um, connecting with kind of an ethnic culture, ethnic heritage culture, um, because I know that you have really been able to get involved with the Korean American community um, in Atlanta. So could you tell us a little bit about your work with the Korean American Coalition? Yeah, so I joined or okay, so I moved here from Dallas to Atlanta. It was kind of like, um, like just finding myself again, like reinventing myself. I um, wanted to get more involved in the Asian American uh, community and the Korean community. And I jumped right in. Atlanta has one of the largest Korean American communities in the nation. So I was really fortunate to to have that. Um, And yeah, I just moved here and started going to um, Asian Americans advancing justice uh, workshops and events. And at one of them, I met another Korean American who has become a dear friend of mine, um, Jung Jung Wook Lee. And uh, yeah, it was funny. I was trying to find my car and she just happened to be there. And I didn't remember where I parked somewhere downtown in Atlanta. And she (laughs) helped me find my car. So we became fast friends. And then turns out she's also married to a Korean adoptee. So her husband's also a Korean adoptee. So I became friends with him. And then she also had helped start up the Korean American Coalition. Um, She didn't, I I think she wasn't one of the original founders, but then it started to die out. And then she came back in and brought it back to life. Mm. And she's been president and and she was on the board. So she started inviting me to the KAC um, events and happy hours and uh, programs. And um, then we had an annual conference. The KAC annual national conference was in Atlanta a couple years ago. And um, for the first time, and for those of you who don't know about Korean American Coalition, it started out of LA after the LA riots. And um, they have several chapters all over, mostly on the West Coast. Um, There's a chapter in San Diego, LA, uh, Oregon, um, Chicago, Atlanta, and I think there used to be one on, I think in DC, but they're trying to be, you know, they're trying to grow more on the East Coast. 
So, uh, and then tech, I think I said Dallas too. So they have this annual national KAC conference every year and, and, and Atlanta hosted it two years ago. And for the first time they decided to have an adoptee session. Wow. So we invited adoptees um, to come from all over. And it was kind of like, you know, meet adoptees um, and ask them, you know, whatever you want to know. And it was interesting because there were a lot of Korean Americans and Koreans you know, there who had attended who had a lot of questions. And because it was kind of a taboo subject to talk about among their Korean families, they they loved the space. So they were just like asking us a ton of questions. Um, we brought in Dan Matthews from L.A. He came and he's in the entertainment business. He's also a Korean adoptee. And then we brought in Tom Kaplan from New York, um, who started up the also known as a group out of New York for adoptees. So, um, so I felt like we had a nice, uh, diverse group of adoptees there. I think there were, I want to say there are about 25 or 30 of us that attended the session. Mm -hmm. So it was a, like really cool. So that's how I got involved. The, I had a great time. And next thing you know, I'm on the board and now I'm <laughs> vice president. So that was not my intention. Like I really just wanted to just have an opportunity to engage with more Koreans and Korean Americans. Um, I really, you know, some adoptees meet uh, Koreans and Korean Americans and they don't have great experiences. Um, they don't feel like, you know, they fit in or um, they, you know, have a hard time with identifying with that group. But I was really lucky, I think, meeting Jung and then meeting her friends because they welcomed me. Mm -hmm. um, they were interested, you know, in the adoptee community here, which I found out also is really large in Atlanta. Um, and then a couple of us actually started up the adoptee association, um, the adoptee, but I'm sorry, the Korean American Adoptee Association of Georgia. Yeah. So we started up that group. Um, and so then we connected with the Korean consulate and, um, and he started like introducing us to people. And um, so we have put on a few events and we make sure to get together and have dinners and, and all that fun stuff when we can. Yeah, so that's how I got involved. <laughs> so, um, yeah. It's nothing like losing your car and finding a friendly face who would help you to create a bond. You know what I mean? Like, I know. Like, I know. That's what I think. I'm like, if I had a good sense of direction, I would have never met her. So. Exactly. But that's so wonderful because I can only imagine, you know, like you said, you had just moved to Atlanta, which Atlanta is, you know, a big metropolitan area, very easy to get confused or turned around. And then to have someone who could like, Hey, I'll help you look for your car. Like, I don't know where your car is either, but <laughs> I know I honestly don't know how we found it because I remember it was like this advocacy days event. And so they had us meet downtown at one building and then we kept walking to all these other buildings. So that's how I was like, when I had to leave, I'm like, I have no idea where I'm going. I don't know where I am. And, um, yeah, I don't, I guess she just knew, I guess she just right. knew like where I probably where I parked like the area and yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. But you mentioned something, um, how for a KAC, the annual conference, you, they all had for the first time a session with or about Korean adoption. Could you tell us, or for the listeners, you know, why was this such kind of like a big deal or an anomaly? Right. Well, I think um, for in the Korean culture, you know, Korean adoptees, I, I, you know, unfortunately are the largest 
population of international adoptees, I think that exist. Um, and there's a lot of shame in the Korean culture about that, because if you know Korean Koreans, like their bloodline is very important to them. Um, they have a lot of pride in, um, you know, in their family and being Korean. And so, you know, having this history of adopting out all of these children, which the numbers, you know, are like, they go, they're like in the hundreds of thousands, you know, I think I hear a different number all the time. Mm -hmm. um, it's very shameful. And um, also, you know, Korean adoptees for a long time were not welcomed back to the country and they were, they were not, they didn't want to be acknowledged at all, you know, by the Korean community. Now it's changing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess, you, you know, they saw us as like second class. And um, so, yeah, so that's why, um, even though adoption, you know, has is, is so big there. That's what it's really hard as adoptees to like wrap our like head around this because we're like, okay, we were pretty much adopted out of this culture that is all about family and bloodline, you know. So, mm -hmm. and then they're gonna try to. I think maybe the way they handled it is by just not, just you know, not acknowledging it. And so that's why a lot of like second generation, second and third generation Korean Americans were so excited about our session because their first gen parents didn't talk about stuff like this mm -hmm. um, to them. And then, um, and you know, also growing up in the South, a lot of the people I think who attended this, um, you know, had grown up in communities where there weren't a lot of other um, Asian Americans or Korean Americans. So, you know, you, you know, this, what, this was like an opportunity that they were around other Asian Americans and Korean Americans so that, you know, they could talk about issues like this. So, um, yeah, I mean, especially adoptees, the adoptees that were there, we all grew up in predominantly uh, white communities. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah it's, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because, you know, as you mentioned, for adoptees, a lot of times, especially um, international transracial adoptees, typically the experience is kind of growing up um, as the only kind of adoptive family, as the only transracial adoptive family, and as the only kind of person of your ethnic group as well. Um, so feeling very kind of singular in that experience. And then also, as you mentioned before, uh, a hesitancy, even if you were to be around kind of your ethnic community, a hesitancy to kind of interact or reach out and how having kind of one bad experience could really shape you know, your willingness to reach out again. Yeah, definitely. And I know a lot of adoptees who came to this conference, they were really nervous uh, because this really was the first time for them to be around other, like a large Korean community. Um, and so I really, you know, did my best to like kind of take a few of them under my wing and make sure that they were doing okay. Um, because yeah, they felt like they, you know, they just didn't know how to feel they you know some of them felt like they belonged in some sessions but not the others um so like the korean adoptee group there really stuck together um and yeah and you know it was just a big reminder too you know of what you know what we could have been and what we aren't now and you know which you know everyone takes that differently and stuff but it, yeah it it was hard for a lot of people but I'm, i really saw some great like things that came out of it with them being there. So, um, and then also like the first time a lot of them tried Korean food too. So, <laughs> so yeah. yes. we see that a lot with the like con, you know, the con conference and adoptees. Like when we have our adoptee gatherings here in Georgia, a lot of adoptees have never had Korean food before. So mm -hmm. that's always fun to see that. 
Yeah. yeah. But now it seems like Korean food is just like kind of <laughs> everywhere. Um, maybe not traditional Korean food, but like this idea of Korean food is very popular now. It is. Yes. Like, especially here in Atlanta, like, yeah, you, <laughs> it's like huge here. So um, yeah. And they have, even in the uh, metro area, they're getting more and more um, Asian restaurants. So, um, but I still like the authentic ones that are more out in Duluth and um, Buford Highway. <laughs> so we usually have meetups there. Yeah. Yes. And I love that you just dropped some locations. So for <laughs> listeners who are in Atlanta or traveling to Atlanta, like I know a lot of Memphians do, you might be able to enjoy some authentic Korean food. Um, we have a couple of Korean restaurants here in Memphis, but you know, the Korean community here is obviously much, much smaller than the Korean community in Atlanta. So sometimes you want some more variety or just different, you know, different foods, which I know food is so important to everyone's culture, you know, and everyone's upbringing. Um, so now you're making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like that time. Well, you know, it's funny though, as an adoptee, I'll admit that I, food was not important to me growing oh, up. Really? Like, um, I know I did not like I didn't enjoy food. Um, and so, but I love Korean food. I can't get enough of it. It's crazy. Um, but no, like my dad is Italian. And so we ate a lot of Italian food and my stomach, you know, could not handle a lot of it. So I think it's probably because most of us are lactose intolerant, you know? Um, but I had a lot of like, yeah, a lot of issues with eating a lot of heavy, like Italian food dishes. And then a lot of like heavy meats, so um, I was a very picky eater and I, you know, talking to other adoptees, like a lot of them relate to, you know, relate to that, a lot of stomach issues. Um, but for some reason, when I eat Korean food, I don't have any issues <laughs> and I can't get enough of it. So yeah, it's really, it's really strange. Um, yeah. And it's funny when I do go back to Tulsa, where my mom still lives, um, she doesn't know what to do because she's, you know, my parents, they were not, they were not, they did not eat Asian food. Mm -hmm. um, she can't she, she can't handle Asian food so yeah so she's always like what are we gonna eat what are we gonna do so. <laughs> yes I've had that same experience with family I remember um after shortly after the first time that I came back from Korea um I wanted to like cook Korean food and like kind of try and you know I remember being excited to cook Korean food for some of my family and they were like Mm, no <laughs> yeah no and coming back from Korea I have like I never I'm like obsessed with spicy food now like I don't know you just like developed that there I don't know how it happened but I don't think before when I would get like sundubu you know which is like this this uh, tofu soup mm -hmm. um I wouldn't get it very spicy but now I can't eat it unless it's super spicy <laughs> so ever since yeah ever since our visit to Korea so, um, yeah, so I've really, um, really like started owning like that culture as my own finally. And, um, and I really do identify, I think, you know, more with the Korean culture than I ever have before. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm grateful to Atlanta and this, this experience that I've had moving here because I feel like that's how it all started. <laughs> so. mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really common for adoptees to kind of have that, kind of cultural, I don't say awakening, but more so um, ability to access it once they maybe make a big move, like you had mentioned, moving to Atlanta was kind of like a big move for you. And obviously to an area where you can actually connect with 
Korean Americans in particular. And that is often kind of an impetus for adoptees when they move from home or just move to an area with, you know, much greater racial and ethnic diversity to feel that they can, you know, actually explore or access kind of that part of who they are. Yes, definitely. Yeah, no, growing up in Oklahoma and my sister's still there, you know, there's definitely not diversity there. So, so yeah, so I love it, love it here. I love, you know, this is very different, you know, than anything I've ever experienced. And so I don't want to leave. <laughs> right, right. When you find, when you go back to visit your family and your sister, um, do you feel that you're still able to kind of be your kind of like full Korean self with them? Or do you feel yourself kind of maybe, um, I don't want to say hiding, but like shrinking part of those aspects of yourself? You know, it's funny. I do. And I'm actually going back to Tulsa next week. Because <laughs> I'm getting together with, uh, it's, we're celebrating our 25th high school reunion and, you know, and of my friends, there's just, there's probably about a dozen of us getting together. And of course I'm the only Asian and, you know, they don't know actually. Yeah. They're all white. We, we do have like, yeah. One friend's black. So we're like, yeah, we have this, the, uh, you know, black friend and the Asian friend, which is me. So yeah. And then everyone else is white and, you know, we all grew up together, but so, you know, we'll see how that goes (laughs) because, um, you know, we're getting together and yeah, and I am, I don't know, you know, I, that's definitely, uh, I, I will have to get back to you on that, but no, I do feel like when I do go back there, yeah, my Korean side that I have like identified with here is different there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to talk to my friends who I grew up with, you know, about KAC and the adoptee community because that's like so foreign to them you know they were interested like with me going back to Korea a couple years ago with you you know I did reunite with my birth family Mm -hmm. so this will actually be the first time I'm seeing a lot of them since that happened Mm -hmm. Um, so I know I'll have a lot of questions and stuff about that Um, but yeah um but yeah, I mean, I guess last time I really hung out with them was my 40th birthday. And I think that's when, um, yeah, that was like three years ago. <laughs> so that was when I was just starting to really get into the community. And um, yeah, so now it'll be interesting to go back and see, you know, how um, I navigate all of it. <laughs> so yeah. I'm excited to see them though. I am excited. So. No, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, but I'm just asking because that's oftentimes, you know, the experience of like, you have this great new um, kind of life and, and friends and, and that's kind of a general experience, right? When folks move away in what, you know, whatever form and kind of have these new identities, but it's also very particular to adoptees when you're kind of exploring that racial and ethnic cultural side um, and then going back. And that's kind of another layer of identity that's very different than just saying like, I have some new hobbies or, you know, a new job or, or, you know, something like that. I think about it even in relation to uh, me moving back home, um, coming Mm -hmm. from DC and being so involved in the Korean adoptee community there. And it's funny because, you know, of course, or maybe not, of course, but my friends were very supportive of kind of my exploration and integration of my Korean American side. But with my family, I think I also feel a trepidation about being as open with them about everything that I'm involved in, 
as it relates to Korean adoptees or Korean Americans. So even when I mentioned kind of earlier how my aunt was asking me like, oh, what are you working on? I felt a hesitancy to really be honest and open about, oh, I'm looking at like immigration and Korean, right? I felt that. Um, and so that's why I was asking, because it is kind of, for some of us, we feel like these kind of like double lives and questioning mm -hmm. like, will our family still accept us if they really knew like we have these whole other Asian lives? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I and mean, this is what's great. Like adoptees just know this, like, yeah, it, it is interesting. It is trying to, because I feel like it is all, everything you share with them. It, it's about your identity and stuff. And, is kind of surface level, you know, because I don't really want a lot of questions. Like I really don't want, you know, I don't have the energy for that. And, and, and so, you know, I'll tell them like, you know, just, oh yeah, we, we get together with this group and we, you know, go out to dinner, but you know, that's, I'm like, that's all that they need to know. Because if I really like try to go any deeper than that, I don't, I, I don't think that they'll get it, you know, or understand. So, yeah. So it is kind of picking and choosing and, um, you know, how to communicate about everything that's going on in your life now. Um, and then I also have a sister who's also a Korean adoptee who lives in Tulsa and she's not in the community. She did, you know, come with us to Korea. Yeah, you got to hang out with her too. Um, but, you know, she left the conference and she went back to Tulsa, Oklahoma and, you know, where she doesn't have an Asian American community or Korean community. So I know that was a little hard for her, um, you know, and I think it might be a little bit hard for her to see me out doing all this stuff with all these Korean all the time. Um, there are a couple Korean restaurants in Tulsa. So we are making plans to go eat there one night because she has a son, my nephew. He's, you know, he's half Korean, um, quarter white, quarter Native American, but he's so into the Korean culture. Like he does it. Like he has, I, I always get him t-shirts with the Korean flags and yeah, he's got a lot of Korean pride. So he, his favorite dish is kimchi jjigae. And so he's gonna, yeah. So he's going to come out um, with us, you know, one night and um, eat Korean food. So, um, but yeah, so even talking to my sister, like I get so excited about con next week and everything, but she's, you know, she's, I don't think she's going to um, jump on and, and join, um, which is fine. You know, that's like all adoptees. We all have different backgrounds and experiences and preferences. So, um, you know, this is just not, she's just not as into it as me, but I think a lot of it has to do with she just can't be in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's take another break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sana and I'm joined by Amanda Asalone. And we've been talking about um, just some kind of common experiences in the Korean adoptee experience specifically. We're kind of talking about these bigger trends around identity, um, belonging, whether formal belonging via citizenship, which we talked about in the first segment, which you could always hear on um, the replay on WYXR.org. And then, of course, we talked about um, making a belonging within communities like the adoptee community or even Korean American community as well. And so you mentioned going to Korea. Well, we went to Korea, but <laughs> going to Korea. And uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about that as well, because 
one thing that you mentioned um, was one that Korea has this kind of sense of shame around adoption and for um, what folks have called, you know, exporting children. And um, there's been a lot of controversy throughout you know, several decades over the practice of adoption in Korea. Um, so that, but then also, I think more recently, there has been a lot of government support for adoptees returning and even for adoptees in um, the various countries where Korean adoptees were adopted to um, some government, Korean government support for programming. Mm -hmm. um, so funding for different types of activities as well. So could you tell us a little bit about your trip to Korea and kind of what sense you got as far as um, being accepted in Korean society um, and just kind of what that experience was like for you? Cause that was your first time going back. Yes, this was my first time going back after over 40 years. <laughs> so, I mean, and I left when I was three months old so I don't remember anything, but, um, but it was a great experience. Um, a lot of stuff is very westernized there and, and we were mainly in Seoul. So, and you know, and a lot of people there spoke English. Um, everyone was very welcoming. I also went with a international adoptee conference. So there was like hundreds of us there that were like, just like me. Um, but, but my sister and I, we went a little early. So we did try to stay outside, um, in a different area of Seoul, um, where we, you know, so that we could experience just being, you know, out and about on our own, but we got lost and people were nice and helpful. And, um, we were told that that wasn't going to happen. Nobody would help you at all if you were lost or, and they would be mean to you, but we didn't experience that at all. Um, and then we also went our last day there, we went and uh, stayed at, I never pronounce Ichon beach, which is where the airport is in Sean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we stayed, we stayed at, on like a beach resort area kind of there. And, um, no one there spoke English. <laughs> so we just kind of maneuvered and like I, my sister and I are not big seafood people. So we wanted to just order like ramen one night. And so we were just trying to order ramen and this guy was being very friendly and he literally brought us like this massive bowl of all different types of seafood and like clams. And we were like staring at it like, oh my gosh, what in the world? And we felt so bad because, um, I, I couldn't eat it. And I, I could just see his face drop because he was like being so generous and nice Aww. giving that to us. My sister, <laughs> she did eat some of it and then she got sick. <laughs> but, like, but, you know, so we definitely, we experienced like the best time there. Um, I also reunited with my birth family um, in, in learning about them. You know, I found out I have um, five older sisters Wow. So I did get to meet with, meet up with them and they were great and welcoming. And that was a really great experience. Um, I had also heard a lot or been warned, you know, a lot of birth family reunions don't go well. So just go in it with an open mind. So I did, um, my parent, my birth parents, my mom is, um, she has Alzheimer's and she's in a nursing home. So I did get to meet her, uh, but she didn't know, you know, who I was. And then my birth father had, had recently passed away. So it was a different experience for me meeting my sisters um, who didn't know anything about me um, versus, you know, other reunions where they've also had to navigate the parents too. So mm -hmm. um, I feel like my, my experience was pretty easy on that part. Um, Cause I know it's more emotional. I think when the parents reunite um, mm -hmm. with the adoptee, yeah. but um, yeah, no, it was a great time. I mean, I could, you know, they do this, uh, conference every three years. And, um, I definitely hope to go next time. 
Um, and they have a lot of fun activities for us so that we can get to explore the city and, and, and do it with other people so that we're not out there doing it on our own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was a really great time. I really wanted to go last year, but um, because the COVID wasn't able to. So as soon as things open up, I'm going to try to go, which might be ICA, which will be 2022. So. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah. ICA is the International Korean Adoptee Associations. Um, and so it is an association, Korean Adoptee Associations in the U.S. and also in Europe, um, various countries in Europe um, under this kind of umbrella organization. Um, and next year, um, I guess COVID dependent, <laughs> um, there will be another international conference in Korea. Um, and for a lot of folks, it is their first time back. And it's really interesting because even though this conference happens, you know, every three years, it's like every three years, the majority of people who go, it is their first time back. It is. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it is a very kind of structured way to experience uh, the birth country, you know, and with other folks who presumably have some experiences similar to yours, right, in upbringing and, and things like that. And what I've noticed, of course, is that as folks are um, starting their own families, they're mm-hmm. thinking, often thinking about Korea in new ways and maybe even for kind of like the first time because now they have kids and they're wondering you know how much should I know to be able to tell you know my kids and and, you know also thinking about oh this could be a good family experience to go to Korea together as well. Yeah I know that was what was really neat and these are adoptees from all over the world so like there are so many European adoptees there that was it that was like blew my mind and because you know you don't think about them you know so and then but no that a lot of them brought their families and their kids and and it was really cool to see that um and get, to get to know them too so I hope maybe um, my sister will bring my nephew one year so um he would love it Um, And they do have programs for like the whole family to participate in. So they really do a good job. I think there's also like, if if there are any adoptees out there, there are like a lot of homeland tours or birth, you know, family homeland tours that that um, different organizations put on. But I think ICA was I really liked ICA because it kind of gave you the flexibility to do whatever you want. And uh, I think when you take these tours, which a lot of them are funded, um, it's very structured. So you don't really get a lot of time to go and just do your own thing. Um, you stay with your group, you know, you stay with the organization and they, they plan everything out for you. So I you're just completely on your own. And, um, yeah, that's what I really enjoyed. So, um, but yeah, it's not funded. That's what everyone always asks, you know, do you get, does Ica pay for you to come? No, unfortunately it doesn't. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned um, on this trip meeting your biological sisters. Yeah. I can only imagine how, I mean, oh my goodness, so many feelings. Um, but are you still in contact with them now? Yes. Yeah, so we, yes, we communicate through Kakao Chat and um, we have a family group. 
Um, and yeah, we, we, I do all the translation because they don't speak English and I don't speak Korean. I did try to take um, some language classes when I got back uh, two years ago, but that didn't go well. <laughs> so maybe I'll revisit that. You know, it's hard. Learning Korean is really hard when you're like busy with work and you're in your 40s and it's a foreign language to you. But um, I'm trying. I'm watching a lot of Korean dramas and those are helping. <laughs> And, um, but no, so we do, we communicate through cacao chat. Um, and, um, you know, there's five of them, well, six of us, including me in this group. And it's been so great keeping up with them. Um, actually just the other day, I was just talking to them. It can be overwhelming because I take the time to run all the stuff I'm saying through the translation app. And then I, you know, run it through two to make sure it makes sense. And then um, I will post stuff. And then when they respond, I have to go and translate it and then try to figure it out too. Cause you know, Google translate is not the greatest. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, that, you know, that's frustrating. The other day, I saw one of my sisters is a Facebook friend of mine and her birthday came up that it was her birthday. And so I was like, oh, happy birthday. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. That was like my birthday. My, I think she said solar birthday a year ago when I made the account. That's not really my birthday because they use the lunar calendar. And she's right. telling me this all in Korean and it's confusing. She's like, I know you're confused, but like, so I'm like, what? You know, I just don't understand all what she's saying. And then she, she's like, and cause I mean, yeah, cause one of them, I think this year, cause their birthdays are in July, which means like solar birthdays would be the month before. So then she's telling me my sisters have the same birthday as me because my birthday's in June. So mm -hmm. I'm just like, no, well, then she's like, I'm going to create a list of all our birthdays for you. And, but she sends it to me on the lunar, like all on the lunar birthdays. I'm like, that's not going to help me, you know? And so I'm telling her, I'm like, okay, for how do you know what you're like birthday is going to be the next year. She's like, Oh, I just get a calendar at the beginning of the year. And I look it all up or something. Or I, you know, I don't, it, it's like, they don't think ahead that much or something. I'm like, this is, you know, this is driving me nuts. <laughs> so, so, but it's funny. Cause at the end she has my, they added me to it. And of course my birthday is like, you know, solar, solar calendar or whatever. So yeah. So that just blows my mind. I'm still a little confused about that, but you know, these are the conversations that we have, like as soon as, you know, living in Atlanta, you know, we had the um, spa shootings, you know, here in March. And so immediately they heard about the news and contacted me. So I was up all night, you know, because when they're, you know, daytime there, it's nighttime here. So I was up all night trying to explain what happened and why these are issues here. Because, um, you know, they don't carry guns in Korea. So that was, you know, a big incident. Um, and it's great, you know, it's great. I'm saying this and, and I'm smiling, I'm laughing and stuff, but it is hard too. So like, you know, people out there who do want to are thinking about exploring like family reunions, like you just really have to have an open mind um, because like, yeah, I mean, the other night it was great talking to them, but it was also very frustrating and stressful for me. <laughs> so, you know, like, it's like, why? Cause you do start thinking like, this really stinks as adoptees that we can't communicate with our, you know, biological family members, like normal people. And, and, you know, you also see other people doing like video chats and stuff. And I can't do that with them, you know, because I don't have a translator. So, yeah. So there's good and there's, you know, good and, um, you know, challenging things about it. Um, but no, they're always reaching out to me. Um, my sister, my, one of my sister's 
she has two cats. So all, all of them, four of them have kids and married. And then I have one sister who's not married and she has her two cats. And so she has an Instagram for her cats and, and I follow them all the time. I mean, oh my God, these cats have the best life ever. And so a lot of my friends here in the U S started following her on Instagram too. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm cracking up because I'm seeing that they've liked her posts. <laughs> so yeah, she's like definitely a cat lover and, um, she dresses her cats up all the time and yeah, it's fun. And actually one of my nieces has the same name as you, has the Senna. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, it is, it is very challenging. You know, I'm glad we're able to talk about this. So listeners can kind of hear um, your experience, which of course everyone's experience is different, but also because I know folks have questions and they don't know how to ask you know, the adoptees in their lives. Um, and, you know, all the, thank you so much for all the things you shared because these are very personal details that you're willing to share, but everyone else isn't willing to have those conversations, nor should they feel pressured to, right? Because right. this is very personal information, um, but it can be challenging, you know, to connect with birth family or make that decision even to, to potentially try to connect. And then also to, you know, reach out to your ethnic community, right? So these are all big challenges um, and issues that uh, international and transracial adoptees are kind of navigating at different points in their lives um, and with very different kind of results or feelings about those experiences. Yes, for sure. And I mean, that's something too, like all of us have, like, we were all so different. So like, just because I've had this experience does not mean, you know, another, like anyone else is going to have the same experience. Um, I will say like, I'll, I'll share my sister also decided to reunite with her family, but she has not met them yet. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, she's taking it a lot slower than me. And because it is a lot, you know, it is harder. It's very hard for a lot of people to like, you know, after 40 years, like, you know, realize there's this other whole life and, you know, family out there. Um, so she's going at it at a very slow pace, which is good for her um, versus me. I just jumped right into everything. <laughs> so like, yeah, so, um, but no, and I mean, I'm pretty open about and, you know, talking about stuff like this, but I know a lot of adoptees with being in the group here in Georgia, they don't, they're not the same. And so I'm very respectful of that. Um, you know, like people ask me, like, you know, how do you, you know, approach, how can you talk to an adoptee? And I can't answer that because, you know, we're all so different. And I, as an adoptee, I know I've said things, you know, that have uh, made other adoptees uncomfortable, you know, so I, I just basically say, you know, I think if you have good intentions, you know, people will see that, you know, um, mm -hmm. but just because I talk about stuff doesn't mean another adoptee, you know, is going to talk about the same stuff. <laughs> Right. Absolutely. Well, Amanda, thank you again for being so open uh, with me and with our listeners um, and sharing kind of your experience, but also some of the bigger issues like the adoptee citizenship rights um, with our listeners. I think it's such important information. Um, so thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And if anyone's ever in Atlanta, come by and see us. Thank you so much to Amanda Asselon for sharing some of her adoptee experience with us. It's always a pleasure to connect with other adoptees and hopefully you all got some insights into some of the shared experiences that adoptees have, also some of the individual and unique ways that we experience adoption and then most importantly, more information about adoptee citizenship rights. 
So I wanted to leave you, of course, with a positive note. So this quote says, having somewhere to go is home, having someone to love is family, and having both is a blessing. So I just want to encourage you all to cultivate home to cultivate family and hopefully to enjoy that blessing of having both um, and cultivating that in your own lives. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. And remember, wherever you are, you can always tune in on WYXR.org. And did you know that Let's Grab Coffee is available in the podcast format on Apple and Spotify and wherever you stream your podcast. So be sure to subscribe and share with a friend. I will see you back here on Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR.org. I'm Sanaa. Enjoy the rest of your day.